Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, February 10th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We get the latest on the investigation on the alleged misconduct of former Chief of Defence Jonathan Vance. To mask or not to mask, that's the focus of an upcoming study being conducted by the Cummings School of Medicine at the U of C. We'll speak with a doctor behind the research and let you know how you can take part. It's week two of the Morning News Weight Loss Challenge, powered by Jenny Craig. We're speaking with a weight loss expert for some tips on breaking bad habits and staying focused on your goals. And finally, it's a local cafe making a difference one cup of coffee at a time. We speak with the owner of the Little E Cafe, which provides jobs for Calgarians living with disabilities. 609, Canada's former top soldier, General Jonathan Vance, under investigation and our country's vaccine procurement woes on the agenda of the West Block this week. Host and Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson joins us now with details. Good morning, Mercedes. Hey, good morning, guys. Glad we could catch up with you this week. Always love to to chat with you because you get down and dirty on these stories. And I believe (laughs) it was you that broke this news about General Vance and the allegations of his inappropriate behavior. So where are we on that story now? So last night, or actually it was very late last afternoon, um, the National Defense Committee at the House of Commons met, and they have actually called for, uh, this is an emergency meeting to get together to determine that they will in fact have hearings into essentially who knew what when about the allegations over uh, General Vance's behavior, and in particular, trying to get answers about what the government knew. Because we do know that the former military ombudsman came to the Minister of National Defense in 2018 and raised some kind of concern about the former chief of the defense staff's behavior around women. Now, we've been told both on the record and on background by officials that the minister's office emailed the Privy Council office, which is like the prime minister's essentially bureaucrats, um, and that Privy Council office acknowledged that email, but then Privy Council says they couldn't find anything to go on. Um, so it looks like after that, nobody really did anything. So you had some some pretty serious warning come in over alleged behavior and then essentially an email gets sent and nothing else gets investigated. So the other question that we have is whether the defense minister told the prime minister mm-hmm. because something that major, and by the way, they extended General Vance's term and gave him a raise during this time. You know, did he raise it with cabinet? Did he raise it with the prime minister and say this might be an issue? And we cannot get a straight answer. I asked the defense minister very directly three consecutive times on the show, pointed out he wasn't answering the question, still couldn't get an answer. Uh, Yesterday, we tried asking the Prime Minister directly, did he come to you? Did he do enough? Did he tell you? Uh, And the Prime Minister just wouldn't answer that either. So we don't know at the end of the day whether it was only the Defence Minister who was aware of these allegations or whether, in fact, Cabinet and the Prime Minister's office knew as well. And then there's just that larger question of, of why nothing more was really done to look into this at the time. Incredible, like something like this that we, we we've talked about, you know, across the nation at this level, um, and uh, I would think that this is not going to be going away anytime soon. Is going to be continued to have these questions rolling out, and uh, this is uh, going to need some kind of closure. And we talk time and time again how there's always you know the fall guy or fall girl for something like this. Something has to happen. You would think, Mercedes. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of questions about, you know, there's there's the behavior that is alleged against General Vance, and that's very specific to him, and he is under mm-hmm. two different investigations right now, both a military police investigation, and there will be a broader independent review outside the military, although still 
Um, a week into this story, nobody could give us details about what that's actually going to look like. Uh, but there is that second level of political accountability. Mm-hmm. If senior politicians, or at least one senior politician, the Minister of National Defense knew about this, um, why wasn't more done to find out if there was something to those allegations? Um, and I know certainly there, there's a lot of anger from women who I've been speaking to inside the military who are saying, you know, um, there was concerns for a long time. Why was this not looked at? Why did people not take it as seriously as they should have? Government says they took it seriously, did everything they can. But at the same time, they won't answer our questions about who knew. So it's really hard to judge. You know, and sometimes not answering says more than when you do answer, right? And then who who was the genius who put Vance in charge then of, of investigating this very issue within the military itself? So this happened way back. Do you remember when that Deschamps report came out by the former um, Supreme Court justice? And it was all on um, sexual harassment and sexual misconduct in the military. That actually happened under the conservative government. And by the way, it was the conservative government that appointed Vance. And there were concerns raised at that time about how Vance had met his then fiance about to become wife. She had been a subordinate officer under his command in Italy. Um, so there, there was awareness that there had the concern at that time about the current wife. Uh, I've talked to former senior conservatives who kind of said they dismissed it because, well, they got married, so uh, they didn't look at it. But they didn't look at, you know, was was this a broader pattern of behavior? And there were certainly people in the military who weren't very happy with that uh, either because in the military, it's very different than civilian society. You have complete control. And so that's why you can't date people who are underneath your command because you have so much control over their lives. Um, but at the time, they appointed him and he took on op honor. He really became the face of it. Um, and that was part of why we thought that this story was important because we had women, um, you know, talking to us and saying, one thing is being said publicly and another thing is being done privately. Right. And that is sending a message to people at the top of the Canadian forces that you can say one thing and do another and it's not going to change for women. Um, and that is part of why we thought it was important for us to do this story. But that's also part of why it hits so hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was Vance's legacy. And now he's alleged to have been having an inappropriate relationship with one subordinate uh, and with another subordinate who he vastly outranks as a young corporal, sending her a sexually inappropriate email. The other huge topic on the West Block this weekend was, of course, vaccine procurement. We've heard a lot about it, all Canadians on uh, pins, pins and needles, wondering when we're going to get the vaccines that we require. And it's something you tried to get to the bottom of on the West Block, on why thir- over 30 countries are ahead of us. Uh, what sorts of answers did you get? Well, uh, you can uh, not a lot of answers on the why. Um, now, a lot of those countries are vaccine producing. We don't have and can't see the contracts that Canada has signed. The government said, um, as the minister was saying on the show, that those contracts are confidential um, with the supplier. Although some countries have released details of the contract, they're arguing that they're being transparent because they're telling us the delivery schedules. But until last week, Canadians thought the deliveries were weekly because of the way the government provided that information. Turns out that's not what's in the contract. This is the only part we know about in the contract uh, that is actually quarterly, which means that the vaccine producers could drop off drastically or not deliver at all some weeks as long as they deliver the total amount by the end of the quarter. They will not be in breach of their contract. Um, so at, at this point, uh, I haven't checked today, but on the weekend, there were 35 countries who were ahead of us in terms of the number of people uh, per hundred citizens who had gotten shots into their arms. So, you know, I think um, it's, it's maybe a little less surprising if there is uh, 
you know, not people want any country's head, but if there's three or five or seven, but when you start talking about 35, um, that yeah. becomes a big political issue for the for the government. Now, you talked to uh, Conservative Michelle Rempel-Garner from out here in Calgary, Nose Hill, and, and, and she took a swipe at the Prime Minister, you know, and, and the Liberals saying, of course, that they're moving the goalposts, and, and, and maybe deservedly so. Do you know, is, is this, you know, can we pin this on the Prime Minister, or is this really all to do with the vaccine makers just not giving us the vaccine that they keep telling us we should be getting? Well, I think that's a great question. I mean, it's a question about why Pfizer is is sort of telling Canada to just get the sixth dose, which wasn't approved till yesterday, and that isn't always possible, and you have to retrain people and get special needles, um, about why they are considering that to be adequate when that wasn't the initial agreement, which is based on health regulators uh, and what they have approved. I think that there's questions for the government in all of this about um, when they came to the table to actually sign for those vaccines. Uh, did they negotiate a good deal? We don't know because we can't see the contracts. So it's impossible you know, to do any kind of an objective analysis. There's also the fact, to be fair to them, that we don't have vaccine manufacturing capacity. Mm-hmm. But there's also Canadian vaccine makers who are saying, well, if they'd sunk more money into us earlier, right. we'd be manufacturing by now. On the other hand, you can also kind of see the government's argument that when you're in the middle of a pandemic and everyone's panicking, you might buy from the manufacturer who guarantee it almost immediately that you want that delivery as soon as possible um so i think there's still a lot of questions around this that that we don't know the answers to but if they're not able to turn the trend around on vaccination um it will become a tremendous political liability for them because it is a very rare political issue in that it has a direct effect on people's lives most political issues don't people know they weigh in this one actually affects how you live your life and and that's why it's so important to people I have a feeling you'll be talking about vaccine <laughs> procurement in coming episodes <laughs> I think so. of the West Block. Thanks for your time this morning, Mercedes. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too. That is uh, Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. 8-12 on the morning news. It's uh, been six months since Calgary's mask bylaw was put into place. And, uh, well, for the most part, compliance has been good. Our city has also seen an increase in anti-mask rallies over the last few months. But what drives this behavior? Dr. Katrina Mullaney is an associate professor in the Cummings School of Medicine and joins us now with more on how herself and her team are working with the city to try and understand a person's decision to mask or unmask. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning to you. Let's break this down. Just glancing through your research, I believe you've broken it down to perhaps two main reasons why they would make that choice. Well, you certainly don't want to go in uh, to a research project thinking you know the reasons, but there have been a number of studies that have happened in Canada um, and the U.S., and some of the reasons um, are around um, uh, confusion or uncertainty about the effectiveness or the efficacy of the masks. And so we certainly know that early days in the pandemic, um, there wasn't a lot of good research or a lot of good evidence um, to support the use of masks. And so if there's any confusion, um, you know, that certainly can drive a person's decision to not wear them if they're, sure, if they're not sure that they're going to have an, an impact. Um, the reason that I'm particularly curious about, and certainly something that we've seen emerge here in Calgary, is this human rights argument. Mm-hmm. And so there's a small group of people um, who we've seen very publicly protesting or rallying against the use of masks. And, and certainly as citizens, uh, there's lots of rules and lots of bylaws uh, that we have to follow to keep our community safe. And so I'm very curious as to why wearing a mask has emerged uh, as a human rights issue. 
Doctor, we even see it on our text line of, you know, even to this day, people will say, oh, I'm not wearing a mask and you can't make me. Do you, are you finding that it might be a sort of a, a sense of control or lack of control it, it, when it comes to masking or not masking as well? Yeah, that, that certainly could have a, a, an impact on people's decisions. Um, yeah, so, you know, there ha- the studies that have come out in Canada have shown that there are particular demographics as well. And so some studies show that men are less likely to wear masks than women or that people within a certain age group, in particular age 30 to 59, uh, may also be more resistant. Uh, and there is some actually research out of the, the United States that says that your political affiliation, whether you mm-hmm. are towards the right or the left, could actually impact your decision to wear a mask. So, you know, we, we, are, we haven't done our study yet, but certainly those are the kinds of questions that we'll be asking Calgarians. Yeah, and we're going to get to, you know, perhaps how we can get people to take part in in a minute here, Dr. Mullaney. But I'm also wondering, you know, within your research and within your studies, have have you had any comparison as to the different views around the globe when it comes to masks compared to our nation and what we do know already? That's a really good question. One of the things that we've seen uh, since COVID emerged is between 600 and 1,800, or pardon me, 600 and 800 new publications coming out every day on different aspects of the pandemic. And so there is a lot of confusion about what the good science is uh, and what the good messaging is. And certainly that messaging um, can be influenced heavily by social media as well. And so part of what we're gonna do is take a look at all of the research that's emerged from around the world and see if we can really sort of synthesize and understand um, the rigorous methods, uh, the rigorous scientific research and see if we can come up with uh, some good messaging and some um, some consistent messaging that brings the best evidence forward. Brilliant. Doctor, how can people get involved in this survey and, and how many people are you looking for as a, as a total to try and, and discuss with? Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, there's a few things we're going to do. We're going to do a survey which will be available to all Calgarians. Uh, the University of Calgary has a Get Involved in Research page where our survey will be posted. And so Calgarians can go to the University of Calgary website. Uh, We will plan on utilizing our networks uh, with the City of Calgary and the University of Calgary uh, through social media and our own sort of networks to get the survey link out there. Uh, We will also engage a small group of Calgarians into some follow-up interviews to just dig a little bit deeper. And a couple of members of our research team will probably do some observation in different areas around the city and sort of just sit and watch and and see, you know, how many people are wearing masks and and how many people aren't. Um, And so hopefully we'll have a, a really sort of public campaign to get the survey out there. Just before we let you go, Dr. Mullaney, we just got a text in saying, please ask the doctor who is funding this research. So that's a very good question. Um, we received a small grant from the, um, it's called SHRC, so the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, uh, which is a, a federal um, body that funds uh, research in the area of social sciences and humanities. Any way that we can get the, the right, the correct, the proper information out there, I think is going to be a bonus. We'll be really interested to check in with you later and get the results of your survey. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's Dr. Katrina Mullaney, who is the Associate Professor at the Cummings School of Medicine. 8.50 now, and as we continue on with our Jenny Craig Weight Loss Challenge here on the Morning News, joining us to chat a little bit more about it is Emily Zezov, who's Jenny Craig's South Alberta Regional Manager. Hi, Emily. 
Good morning. Hey, we want to talk to you about some tips on healthy eating habits and, and things that you can help to, you know, help follow through with your goals and not fall off that train, whether you're with Jenny Craig or, or, or just, you know, kind of doing this on your own. So what are, what are in your opinion, are, are some of the best tips and, and habits that we can get into? Yeah, well, you know, the only way for something to be adopted, you know, as a way of life or a mindset is actually to follow through with the actions that support it. Right. So just like anything, it takes time and consistency. Um, so some of the biggest things that um, you guys may have also experienced of by following the Jenny menus are, you know, following um, and eating six times a day, um, keeping hydrated, journaling on your menu plan, um, just keeping yourself accountable and being able to say yes to exercise more often and no to maybe, you know, outside temptation that comes your way. You know, we use the term diet to, to this day in society, Emily, but we've also been told that diets don't work. And one of the things that you say is that practice is what becomes permanent. So I'm wondering, is there a time frame that if you take on you know, healthy eating habits and healthy habits that they will become permanent? Do we have any research on that? Well, I think that everybody knows how to lose weight. You eat less, you move more, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't mean that we are experts at it. So, you know, while diet can get you short-term weight loss. It isn't realistic in the long-term because, you know, eating cabbage soup for seven days a week <laughs> isn't going to be realistic um, versus practicing something that will be sustainable long-term. And I think that's ultimately what helps keep the weight off in the, in the long run. And also to be able to, you know, not kind of be consumed by what's around you in terms of, you know, the people that you're with or the places you are or the party you're at. Those things you, you also learn through Jenny to, to be able to, you know, kind of put yourself in, in a different perspective when you're looking at your diet. Yeah, ultimately, you know, clients notice that when they are repeating these actions day in and day out, what ends up happening is that they have the ability to separate food from events, people, places, emotions. And once a person's able to separate those things, um, they're able to just focus on the primary activity, whether that's spending time with the family or if you've ever heard the saying, it's the mood, not the food, you start to, to live from that place. Good stuff, Emily. And, uh, you know, we're going to be doing our weigh-in again mm-hmm. and uh, results on Friday. So, 22 uh, pounds down for the, the, two, for the, the three for the of us, I should say. Yeah. yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Good stuff. Thank you so much for your time, Emily. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Emily Zevzoff, uh, of course, Southern Alberta Regional Manager for Jenny Craig. And hey, if you want to get on board, play along with us, join in. Jenny Craig offering CHQR listeners an amazing deal. 60% off their best program. All you have to do to get in on this unprecedented deal is call 1-800-99-JENNY or visit a Jenny Craig Weight Loss Center in Calgary. 844, and I saw and heard about this uh, on Facebook the other day when my friend Darby posted that he had gotten his first job and how excited he was. Well, a Calgary man has opened a brand new coffee shop in downtown Calgary. More important than the coffee is who will be serving up that coffee. Paul Constance joins us now with more on the opening of his Lil E Cafe. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. I know this is not just a business for you. This is something very close to your heart, obviously. Tell us what or or who, I guess, really inspired this cafe that you've started. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny story. It started on the side and it was just an innocent text to a hockey buddy telling him about uh, a Down Syndrome Cafe I heard about in the States when I was at a leadership academy in Washington. 
And from there, he told me, uh, don't tell anybody I'm buying a building downtown and open a cafe down there. And uh, he knows my daughter, Ella, who's three, has Down syndrome. So that's kind of where it all got sparked to. And next thing I know, two years later, we're opening a coffee store downtown in minus 50 weather during COVID and 17 Starbucks closing down around us. So I'm not sure if I'm crazy or Warren Buffett bucking the trend. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not crazy. And it sounds like the stars aligned things that, you know, seem to come together for you. So I'm wondering, you know, uh, besides we could talk about your Java and talk about what's on the menu, but I'd rather talk about, you know, the reaction uh, when you give somebody an opportunity to be an employee, uh, to put their skills, skills to you so what's that like and what's the reaction from these employees Andrew, i don't even know how you put words to it it's just it's been the best part of my last say three months i started interviewing people in october and uh it's just incredible a lot of these individuals we have 10 uh, five with down syndrome five with autism and you guys have met darby he's a ray of sunshine and mm-hmm. when, when i go to the store i don't need coffee like the energy these guys bring is like uh getting 10 red bulls it's just amazing and most of them have never had a job. And, you know, I'd ask them what their dream job is or what they want to do in the interview. And they said, I just want to, I just want to work. I want to meet people. I want to have coffee. I want to serve coffee. So it's just, a, it's, it's incredible. And they're, they're saying we've changed their lives. And it's just to be able to, to see that and, and feel it. It's, you just can't even put words to it. So I just encourage people to come down and ask their staff about it. And it's, it's, it's been a ton of fun. And we've had some fun with it. One of our interviews, uh, Rashannon, one of her dreams was to be in a limousine, so we surprised her, and a friend of ours hooked her up, hooked us up with a limo, knocked on her door, she didn't know we were coming, and told her to look outside, and she didn't even put her shoes on, and the streets are all full of snow, and she was flying out there, jumping up and down, Dad, Dad, look, there's a limo, and we drove her down to Sun Life, and uh, the landlord there from Aston Property, Greg Guado, uh, he uh, gave her the news that she's getting hired at Little E, so we've just had a ton of fun with it, and, and it's hard not to with these individuals, they're just... Uh, just a bundle of joy. Uh, it gives me goosebumps. I love it because, you know, right, uh, the, these kids, uh, adults too, I mean, they just want They're an adults. opportunity yeah. to, to, to be able to, to, to get jobs, to, to live, you know, a normal life like they should be able to. Yeah, there's, it's amazing. There's a, a Tim Hortons out in Ontario. And they have five locations, and he has some of the best results across Canada. And he attributes it to having uh, you know people like Darby in his shop. They're just it increases your attention, increases your loyalty, and just creates a culture that you, you can't create without having people like this. They are uh, amazing individuals. Lily, and I think. Uh, we need our community needs to be more aware of you know what they bring to the table. It's awesome. Hundred percent. Lily Coffee Cafe is in, as you said, Sun Life Plaza. You know how exactly do we find you, Paul? Yeah, we're uh, right on the main floor. So as you come in on that's one forty fourth Avenue. Uh, Greg's done a tremendous job on changing the whole location. It's uh, it's quite the thing to see to come in to see the the location. You can't uh, you can't miss us. We kind of fit right into the cool new funky wooden stairs, but we also stick out like a sore thumb. So <laughs> it's a bit of a magical artwork that they did there. So I'd like to thank Gib Gage for all the work they did there. But uh, yeah, we're open uh, right now. Still, we're open Monday to Fridays, and with the COVID and just low traffic, where our hours are seven thirty to one o'clock. Good stuff. We'll come on down for a cup of Java, and of course to say hi to the staff. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sue. Thanks, Andrew. Have a great day. You too. As Paul Constance, owner of the Little E Cafe.